All right, we're going to get started here this morning. So I can kind of scoot back front row. Hopefully we don't run out of chairs here. Hopefully you all had a good week. I know, yeah. You guys are in the splash zone here, so I'll try to not get too excited. All right, glad to have you all here. This is kind of, I hope, or I think, um, kind of the last kind of preliminary setting the foundation week. And then next week, so next week we have our members meeting at 9 a.m., so we're not going to be in here, right? Um, so that's going to be in the sanctuary. So in two weeks, we'll come back and kind of look into some more specifics of introspection, dealing with sin, guilt, regret, um, how do we move on, stuff like that. So this is kind of preliminary a little bit. Um, Before we dive in, let me begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for just this morning. Thank you that we can come together as your people, that we can um, sit under your word, the preaching of your word. We can pray together. We can sing songs of praise to um, encourage one another, build one another up, and also uh, glorify you. Lord, I just pray at this time, as we're looking at understanding ourselves and how we can best um, counsel ourselves through uh, your word, that you would be with us, that this would not just be a fun um, intellectual exercise, but that it would be something that um, affects our hearts, that our conscience would be changed, that we would um, grow to um, judge ourselves and to um, examine ourselves according to your word um, and not according to perhaps our feelings and um, so many emotions that are fleeting day by day. So, Lord, we ask that you would bless this time, help it to um, help us uh, in order that we can glorify you and grow in sanctification. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, as always, I'm going to go through some, some review relatively quick. Quick. This is kind of what we're doing in this class. What's the wrong way to examine ourselves and what is the right way to examine ourselves? We spent the first week um, dealing with identity um, and how that has come to dominate so much of how we think about ourselves, and it's subjective. And I argued that we need to um, have a basis in how the Bible sees us um, in terms of being united with Christ. We've been justified. um, We've been buried with him, raised to life with him, all that. Um, And so there's a really good article. If you want that, I can get that to you. Um, Last week, we were dealing with fighting the fight of the faith. So this is kind of, I wanted to get in and just realize, hey, the Christian life is a fight. It is a struggle. It is a constant conflict. Whether you struggle with introspection or not, this is ordinary Christianity, right? Um, And I think that's really helpful. If you guys haven't read, you need to read. It's got to be on your top list of books to read this year. The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Get the Puritan paperbacks abridged version. People talk about how Owen's hard to understand. He is, but if you get the abridged, he's, he's pretty simple. You guys can read it. And that is one of the best books I think you can read. Because he deals with, I, I think for some reason we think that dealing with sin, struggling with sin in the Christian life is not normal. And I think if you read the New Testament, you'd realize that it actually is normal. And I think one of the problems is then someone starts confessing sin or dealing with, hey, this is my struggle. And we're like, oh, whoa, that's not good. It's like, hey, this is basic boots on the ground Christianity 101, is we're fighting the good fight of the faith and putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Um, and so we looked at that. We looked at Ephesians 6, right? We talked about the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. Um, you know, perhaps there's these, some of these causes of introspection. I went through, do we forget we're in a fight? Um, do we realize there's evil spiritual forces in play, right? Satan and his demons will try to rob us of our joy. Do we seek to fight the battle in our own strength? We went through some of those causes, 
so we need to go back to fighting that with, with faith. Um, we hide behind the, the shield of faith and we fight the battle with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we're going to deal with today a little more of where do our feelings come in? What about emotions? Uh, my conscience, how does this all relate? And so we're going to kind of deal with, what did I title today? Like managing ourselves, learning to manage ourselves, right? How do we understand self and handle ourselves? Because sometimes we don't even understand ourselves, right? Um, one passage here, I thought this was good. I just wanted to go back over this. Fighting the fight of the faith. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And you just see this vivid warfare. You know, it's like laying siege to a castle um, language that Paul is using. And that's the conflict that we are in. I wanted to, I'm fine if we spend like five, ten minutes on this. I meant to, um, I even put this on your notes last week. Questions to reflect on slash ponder. And I thought this would be helpful if we kind of did maybe some group think. If there was anything that, hey, in light of talking about, um, you know, the armor of God, you know, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. Maybe even that week you were helping understand, okay, here's why I might introspect. Or maybe, hey, practically based on that. Here's what I should do. Here's how I should use that in my Christian life. So I meant to say, study that throughout the week and come back this Sunday and think about it. And I didn't. So I'll give you guys a couple minutes, maybe if you didn't think about it, or if there's something that already in this class is helping. And I'm not saying this just to like, tell me like, oh, you guys have been learning. I'm trying to like help one another, right? Is there anything that's just like, wow, I need to do this. And this might also help my brothers and sisters in Christ. Anything so far? And I'm fine with awkward silence for a little bit. This isn't true. Yeah, remind Remind ourselves what's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what is it? Philippians 4 8. This is finally whatever is true. We're actually going to talk about this in a couple weeks because it's such a helpful verse. Um, I think it's Philippians 4 8. I'm going to turn there. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. And then he goes through whatever is honorable, pure, whatever. But just start with that. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, come to the end of the verse, think about these things. So if it's not true, don't think about it. <laughs> I mean, it is a simple application, but that's something continually we have to remind ourselves because more often than not, some of these thoughts we're thinking just simply aren't true. Right? Okay, good. Yep. Yeah. Satan, the accuser, comes and says, hey, well, you did this and this and this. And basically what he says is, that may all be true, but Jesus has paid that price and there's no condemnation now. So, yeah. in other words, you don't, you don't pretend that hasn't happened. It's true. Right. But it has been paid for, and that's the truth that defeats yep. the accusations. Yep. Yeah, and again, like I said, we'll talk about this, but... Um, Esther Smith in her book, she talks about how thinking through, is this thought complete? And what she's saying there is, yes, it's true, I am a sinner. But what 
other truth do you also need to hold with that? Yes, I am a sinner, but I've been redeemed by grace through Jesus Christ. And so we can't hold that incomplete thought. We actually have to hold the two together. So, yeah. Hey, um, the, it's interesting that the shield of faith is also it's put on by the Word of God because the, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Yeah. So having that, it's not the Word of God is not only our defense, but then it's also our offense. Yep. And uh, Jesus, you know, demonstrated that when he was in the wilderness and tempted by the devil. You know, the devil told him, you know, part of the scripture, but he didn't have the right interpretation, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. If you're fighting the fight of faith, not with Scripture, you're going to lose. And so we can simply go back to that. Jeff. Yeah, I feel like I used to read Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and just, it would become daunting to me, all the mandates. Mm. To try to do this in my own strength, and, you know, you have to, you have to really put it in the lens of, you know, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, all the encouragement. And especially, um, like right before the portion about putting on the armor, you know, reading it through the lens of finally being strong in the Lord, in the strength of yeah. his might, and yeah. that with that encouragement that it's already been done, yeah. just, just put it on. So. Yeah, good. Okay. Haley? I'm just thinking of yielding the sword of the Spirit. Like, Jesus models that for us when he's tempted by Satan, and he responds to Satan with Scripture. Scripture, yeah. So just uh, practically, uh, as far as the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith, uh, I was personally able to witness about myself, but with my mom. So I don't know how many people know, but my brother passed away on uh, Christmas Day. Um, and the church had been praying for him for years. And I don't know how many years we said, this is probably our last year with Tony. So, but, and so our prayer with, my, with the family, with me, was, you know, God help us to see what you're doing in this life, you know, why you're doing, why are you putting them through all this? Anyway, all that to say, um, my mom, when she was, um, we were all in the, there was like 20 of us in the small ICU room uh, when my sister-in-law decided to stop the medication that was keeping him alive. And um, um, my mom, as uh, he was, like, you could see his heart, you know, starting to go down. My mom just, I, she, she, she was obviously, she was crying, but she, she started praying. She started thanking God. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I spoke at his memorial. By God's grace, I was able to speak, because leading up to it, I was pretty, uh, I couldn't even talk about him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but at, at his memorial, I, 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 I showed the context, because his wife isn't, I don't, I don't know if she's a believer. She has gone to church, but, she doesn't have that relationship with Christ, with God. And, um, but my mom, in contrast, reads her Bible. She wakes up reading her Bible. She goes to bed reading her Bible. She prays every day. She has a, 
prayer book. Uh, people she prays through all the time. And she just has a strong, strong relationship with God and loves Christ. And, and so that's how, I'm not to glorify my mom, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think of myself and like I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be able to pray over my dying son, mm-hmm. you know, as, as I'm watching him die. And she got, she just thanked God for his life, thanked God for, mm-hmm. for everything that, 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 you know, that, that God had given her and, uh, and thank God for his life. And uh, it was a beautiful, I mean, and I said it, and I don't know read the Facebook post, but it was a beautiful thing. He, even my brother-in-law, who was a, um atheist, said, man, that's, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Hmm. Like, that, there's something there. Yeah. And, um, and that's just to show, like, my mom was thinking biblically and prayed according to the will of God, yeah. thanking him for his life, and resisted, you know, any type of doubt the devil might have tried to put in her mind that, you know, why did why did God do this to your son? Right. You know, resisted all that type of thinking. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. It, it was a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. yeah. She's fighting the fight. Okay, last one. Yes. Um, I think to the first question, what are some causes why we might introspect? Mm-hmm. Um, something that comes to mind is introspection. Introspection comes naturally, and um, fighting introspection with the truth of God is something learned. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's um, it's encouraging because if you don't know what to do, like you can learn what to do. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit will help. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you just go back to Ephesians six. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. So it's implying you don't have that armor in and of yourself. And so that's a great example. Yeah, is that the Lord gives us the the strength and the power and the armor to to fight it. We're not left alone. Okay. Hopefully. Some of those things were, were helpful. We're going to move on. i got to get going here. Learning to manage ourselves. So this is kind of, this is biblical self-help, okay? This is, uh, you know, you go read those self-help books. This is hopefully more biblical than some of those. How to help yourself. And I just want to start with a quote from Lloyd-Jones because it's so good. This is kind of what we're going to talk about today. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, and he's, he's uh, commenting on Psalm 42, which if we have time, we'll look at, if not this week, in two weeks. Why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. That's so good. I mean, that's really what we're trying to do. We need to learn how to handle ourselves. An essential part of that, which you want to talk about today, is understanding ourselves. Can't handle ourselves if we don't even understand ourselves, right? Like, sometimes I'm trying to understand my wife, and it's just like, I don't even know what's going through your brain right now. Like, it's just like, we're totally on different wavelengths here. It's like, I have to understand what she's thinking, and it's an uphill battle. Um, no, I can, I can understand her. Um, but no, that's what I want to talk about. So, understanding ourselves. We have a material part. I think this is too hard to understand. We have a physical body, okay? We have a body, but we also have an immaterial part, okay? Um, sometimes you'll hear, you know, soul, spirit, conscience. Um, I think when it comes to scripture, you're going to see a lot of different terms for that immaterial part, okay? 
um, and we'll look at one of those verses real quick. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. This is what, you know, in theology we would say we're, uh, it's called dichotomy, body and soul or spirit, and not trichotomy, which would be three. Um, and again, I'm not going to spend time, but I don't think biblically it's a super strong argument um, for, for trichotomy. It would be dichotomy. So the Bible speaks of um, all kinds of terms, talking about this immaterial part. Think of this. Um, th- this is kind of like, to me, come on, guys. Luke 10, 27. This is Jesus speaking. You shall love the Lord your God with all your, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He doesn't even mention spirit or body. Okay? Jesus is not saying we have six parts. He's just saying we have a physical and we have a not physical, okay? Like we have an immaterial part of us, okay? And the Bible uses all kinds of terms to refer to that. Heart, soul, uh, mind, conscience, spirit, and stuff like that. There's overlapping concepts going on there. And God's talking about, in that verse, we need to love God with our whole selves, not just with our body, but with the immaterial part as well, okay? Does that make sense? So we're going to dive into that a little bit more. I think it's important right up front um, that we don't separate these two, the, the material and the immaterial, uh, more than we need to. Um, this is Lloyd-Jones again. You cannot isolate the spiritual from the physical, for we are body, mind, and spirit. Again, he's using three terms there. The greatest and the best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than they are at other times. And there are great illustrations of this in scriptures. He's just saying, look, if you haven't had breakfast or lunch, you're probably going to be hangry. Okay, right? Like, you're more prone to anger because you haven't eaten, okay? That doesn't mean that it's okay to be angry because you're hungry, right? Your circumstances don't give you an excuse to sin. It's still sin. He's just saying you're more inclined to sin because you need to eat something. And so you have a spiritual problem, let's say an immaterial problem, of sin that needs to be helped by a physical solution, eating some food. Does that make sense? They're interrelated. It's, it's not this totally separate thing. Um, let me see another example. If we're thinking through this, if you're, you know, you're downcast, you're depressed, you're overwhelmed, you know, sin, guilt, something like that. It could be due to a number of dis- different reasons. This is why I'm going back to you know, physical and spiritual. You could be depressed because you haven't read your Bible in a long time. You could be, um, you know, lonely because you haven't been to church in like eight months. <laughs> like you're going to feel a lack of spiritual fellowship if you're not going to church. You know, the last time you went outside, enjoyed God's creation, or, you know, maybe even the last time you enjoyed, you know, like your favorite movie, okay? If you're sitting there idle doing nothing, you're probably going to drift into, you know, this sinful spiritual depression or introspection. It's more likely that that's going to happen. And so the physical and the spiritual, they're related. I think we get the body side of things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. I want to spend a little bit more, and this is why you have that diagram on your slides, or on your uh, notes, thinking about our soul, okay, the immaterial part of us. How do we understand ourselves? This is where I think that battle for introspection is fought most of the time. Our minds, our hearts, um, our conscience. How do we unpack and understand all of this? Okay? And so here's your, here's your guy, okay? your person. Okay? Now, historically, um, Christians in the past have understood our soul or the immaterial part of us. Okay? So again, whatever term you want to use, the not physical part of us. They've broken it down into three faculties, okay, three parts. If you heard me talk about this before, hopefully some of it's reviewed, but this is really helpful. I remember I was at a class in seminary, and a guy just started talking about this, and I was like, I've never heard this, and this was really, really helpful, okay? It might not pertain directly to introspection right off the bat, 
but I think it will help you in thinking through where's the issue with me, okay? Does that make sense? And so you've got your understanding, or sometimes you'll hear referred to as the mind, okay? Um, you have the affections. Sometimes people talk about it as the, as the heart. Um, I put it there. These are kind of your, you know, thinker, feeler, doer thing. You know, it's kind of what they're doing, okay? Um, the heart. Sometimes in some literature, the heart is referred to, used to refer to as the whole soul. So just keep that in mind. And then you have the will, okay? And that's kind of your, your doer, okay? Thinker, feeler, doer. Um, it's a good reminder right up front that oftentimes in introspection, spiritual depression, the, this problem these issues are complex. It's not like I just have a problem with my understanding or I just have a problem with my will or my affections. Oftentimes, it's multiple of them, okay? It's you got all kinds of problems, okay? And you got to untangle, okay, what am I thinking incorrectly here? What am I not loving rightly here? Am I doing this correctly, right? You got to untangle. That's what we're going for. We're trying to get at what's the cause of what's going on here. And so you'll find this all throughout church history. Um, Lloyd-Jones, he has a chapter in this on spiritual depression. He has a couple chapters on this. Jonathan Edwards talks about this a lot in the religious affections. Um, thank you, Clara. Um, you, have, you, you see this in the Puritans a ton. The Puritans talk about this a ton, and it's everywhere. And I feel like it's kind of died out a little bit, um, which I don't think that's good. I think we need to go back to it. Here's just an example um, of George Swinnick. This is an English Puritan, one of my favorites. And it's just, I want to quote this because it's a good illustration. It's also just so good. Original sin, so he's talking about man in his fallen state. Original sin has debauched the mind. Okay, so he's starting there, the understanding. And made it think crooked things straight and straight things crooked. Loathsome things lovely and lovely things loathsome. It has perverted the will and made it as a diseased stomach to eat unwholesome food against reason. It has enthralled the affections to sensuality and brutishness. It has chained the whole man and delivered it up to the law of sin. So what he's saying there is that there's no aspect of us that's not affected by sin. Okay? And so I think this is helpful, thinking through, where's our problem? Where, do I have a problem of what I'm thinking or what I'm doing or what I'm loving? And how um, the Lord can help us with that. So I want to show first that these are biblical categories, um, kind of um, with a lot of quotes. There's going to be a lot of quotes today because a lot of guys just say things better than I can say them. Um, and then so what? Like it's like, okay, I understand this. So what? Yes? They are biblical categories, but they actually apply a lot to just regular life. Yeah. So in trying to describe them to people without taking it up to the biblical immediately, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your affections are, I don't want to run out of gas on the side of the road because I love my children and it would be dangerous. Then that causes you to then do something, your will. And yeah. it actually applies to almost every decision that we ever make. Yep. Yeah. No, good point. Good point. And so, number one, I'm going to go through this really quick because I don't think this is hard to understand. Number one, going through the understanding, okay, the mind. All knowledge begins in the mind. You have to start there, okay? You have to comprehend, know the right information. You see this all throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, so you need to know this to act on it, okay? You got to know it. You got to comprehend it, okay? 1 John two sixteen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, okay? There's more examples. I'm not going to waste time on that. We understand it, okay? Some other good quotes. Owen, 
the mind or understanding is the leading faculty of the soul. Its office is to guide, direct, choose, and lead. It is the eye of the soul. So this is vital. That's kind of the main thing, the mind and understanding. That's the eye of the soul. We have to start there, okay? And this is important, actually, going uh, forward with introspection. John Flavel. Notice all these guys are named John. I was just like, I don't know why. The mind or understanding sits at the helm and guides the course of the soul. This is really key. Not impelling or rigorously enforcing its dictates upon the will. For the will cannot be so imposed upon. But by giving it a directive light or pointing, as it were, with its finger, what it ought to choose and what to refuse. And so what he's saying here, notice, he's not saying that the will, our actions, simply follow what we understand. Just because we know what to do doesn't mean we're going to do it, right? I mean, this is, think of Romans 7.15. For I do not understand. He doesn't even know. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So he understands what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't do it. And so you're already seeing that, yes, knowledge, true biblical comprehensive knowledge starts in the mind, but there's other factors in play here. So number two, moving to the will, okay? This is the faculty of action. This is your doer, okay? This is why on the slide I kind of pointed to his hand or his feet. This is your, your doing, the active doing the thing, okay? And you can think of Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you see this, right? The doing, the work out. And the work, that's the act of doing. This passage also is helpful because it introduces that third faculty, thinking about the affections, okay? Because notice in there, see, see that mention of will, right? Both to will to even do the work, the desire, okay? So God is at work in us to even change us to desire to want to do the work. And this is where I want to spend a little bit more time thinking about the affections, okay? The religious affections, Jonathan Edwards wrote one of his main books on this. This is where I think the battle for our souls is most of the time, our feeler, okay? Um, you know, sometimes thinking of our emotions, although I'm going to talk about why I don't think that's a good word to use a lot of the times, our wanter, okay? You can think about it like this. If the understanding are the wit and the will are the what and the how, the affections are the why we do something, okay? The affections are the why. Packer, he puts it real simple. This is a loaded definition. It's really good. The affections are the various dispositional drives, okay? You could think of like inclination, why you're more inclined to do something or why, why you're disinclined to do something, okay? Positive and negative with the emotional overtones, love, hope, hate, fear, and so on, which elicit choices by drawing man to or repelling him from particular objects. No choice is ever made without some degree of affection. And so Bunyan also talks about this. Notice another John. The affections are the hands and arms of the soul that take hold of, receive, and embrace what is liked by the soul. Oops. John Flavel. The soul of man is not only endued with an understanding and will. Right? So here's the, the three-part uh, breakdown of the soul, but also with various affections and passions, which are of great use and service to it. Two notes here that I think are important. Passions. We use this word a lot. Um, and again, this goes back to your defining your terms. But especially in, as far as I'm concerned, as, or as far as I know, um, in English Puritanism in the 16th, 17th century, passions was a bad word. 
Like you would never say, wow, that's, he's a very passionate preacher. You'd never say that. You'd say he's a very you know, affectionate preacher, okay? And one of the reasons why is because in the Bible, passions are always bad. Like passions are actually, what they would say is passions are affections divorced from Scripture. So passions are our love and hatred detached from a knowledge of God. And so that's who we are in and of our sin. We passionately go after these other things. And I mean, it's just, you go to, we're going to look at this, but James 4. You know, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He's saying your sin nature is at war within you. So don't tell Mark he's a passionate preacher. Tell him he's an affectionate preacher or something like that. Um, Yeah. Another side note with affections and passions. I think this is why also we should stay away from the word emotions. Um, emotions, there's a, there's a book out there I want to read, some like PhD dissertation, where the guy traces through when in history we started changing from affections to emotions. And emotions is really a modern psychological term. And one of the problems why I would say we need to stay away from it is because I think emotions is kind of something we go, it's like, well, I'm just the product of my emotions. It's just, that's just the way I am. I'm just hardwired. I'm just emotional in this way. I'm just an anxious person, right? Well, if you're just an anxious person, how can you obey? We already talked about How can you obey Philippians 4.8? You can't. Don't be anxious for anything. Well, I'm an anxious person, so you're just going to live in sin for the rest of your life, okay? No, actually, I would say the Bible places that we have a responsibility to change our affections, okay? That we actually need to grow in loving the right things and grow in hating what God calls us to hate, right? Does that make sense? And so we have a responsibility to cultivate by the power of the Spirit, the right loves for the right things. And so I think this is just summary, getting back to this language of affections. I think the main two we could talk about are love and hate. And those are the two things we need to cultivate. Um, Is this biblical? I'm just going to move to it real quick. Proverbs 122. Yes, I think this is biblical. How long, O simple ones? Notice where the problem is. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? They love being simple. That's the problem. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge. Look, like they have access to the knowledge. What's the problem? It's not access. It's that they hate it. They don't love God's knowledge. They don't love being, you know, righteous or being wise. They love being simple. They delight in their sinful scoffing. Here's another one. James 4. I already mentioned this. What causes? Notice this. He's getting to why these things happen. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, again, that's not a good word, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, so you murder. The problem, the root problem is not the murder. Yes, that's bad, but the problem is the sinful desire, right? You covet and cannot obtain, so therefore you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask wrongly, or excuse me, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so I think, yes, it is biblical to talk about mind, understanding, the affections, and the will. Last faculty um, that I didn't know the best way to talk about this, but thinking about the conscience, okay? Especially when we're thinking about introspection, this is where, you know, a lot of people, my conscience is condemning me. There's something wrong with my conscience. And I think a, a simple way to understand conscience is kind of your guide in all of this, right? Like this is the, I don't want to say it's like the voice in your head, but it kind of is the voice in your head. Your conscience is you. Like, it's, it's not some separate thing. It's not, you know, an angel on a shoulder and a devil on a shoulder. No, your conscience is you. This is the immaterial part of you. And I think your conscience is constantly reassessing your understanding, your affections, and your will based on what you know to be right and wrong, okay? 
And so what we want to do as Christians, by the power of the Spirit, the Word is constantly changing our moral awareness of what's right and wrong. Okay? So you become a Christian, you understand God's Word is true, I need to obey. But then, you know, you're growing in your faith, and then all of a sudden you realize, like, whoa, like, I shouldn't do this anymore. It might not be sin, but it's probably unwise. Okay? So your uh, one diagram I thought was really helpful is if this is, you know, your um, obedience, your growth in, you know, Christ-like sanctification, typically your knowledge of God's Word is growing more than that. Okay? You're learning more and more and more, and then you're realizing, oh, I need to stop, start doing this, or I need to stop doing this. And our conscience is the one informing us of that, that we need to understand this right thing. We need to think different thoughts. Um, you know, I need to love this thing or hate this thing, and I need to do this or that. Does that kind of make sense, what conscience is doing there? Um, you can kind of see this. Packer has another good quote. Conscience is the faculty which God put in man to be a sounding board for his word. I like that language. And its application to our lives. The conscience is God's monitor in the soul. And so God has given us a conscience. We know based on the New Testament that everyone has a conscience. The problem is, as Romans 1 talks about, is that we're, we damage our conscience, right? We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so, like I mentioned, by the power of the Spirit, our conscience is constantly being refreshed and renewed to think the right thoughts. And that's our goal in the Christian life, to think God's thoughts um, after him in conformity to his word. And let me see. We've got six minutes. Okay, that's fine. So what? Okay, like, hopefully it's like, oh, this is interesting. But how does this help? Okay, so I just want to go through real quick a couple practical examples. Where's the issue? So I think you don't need to draw this out when you're having problems, okay? Like, this is me, and, you know, like, where does it hurt? It hurts here, right? Like, it's like, you don't, you don't need to do that, but I'm just saying, like, to think through yourself, okay? Where's the issue? Where's the cause? Is it wrong thinking? Am I loving the wrong things? Am I doing the wrong things? Or is it possibly because I'm doing nothing at all, right? Is my idleness causing me to just be bummed out and depressed? And because when I'm left alone with myself, all I do is think about myself. And the more you think about yourself, the more you don't like, okay? Well, don't put yourself in that situation, right? If social media is causing you to think bad things, then get rid of social media, okay? Or put good limits on it, right? So you're going back to these causes, okay? Let me just tease, um, you know, one example out, okay? Let's maybe think of like the conscience and affections, okay? And this is all kind of related, but this might be common, okay? Your conscience is condemning you, okay? For some sin, okay? You don't even know what sin it is. Like, you just are like, I'm guilty. I've done something wrong. I'm down and depressed, and I don't even know why, okay? Like, I just know my conscience is saying, Caleb, you're bad, okay? What do you do, okay? Well, I think you go back to this principle that we looked at last week. We need to fight the good fight of the faith, okay? We're going back to that. We're going back to hiding behind that shield of faith and fighting the battle with the sword of the Spirit. And listen to these verses. Hebrews 9.14, it speaks of how the blood of Christ, quote, will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So Christ is cleansing our conscience, okay? So our conscience is being brought into conformity to think God's thoughts after him as revealed in his word. Hebrews 10.22 goes on to add that our hearts have been, quote, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So Christ is recalibrating all those things, our understanding, our affections, our will, our mind, our conscience. He's helping us, okay, to think rightly. It could be that you're feeling guilty because you are guilty. It could be that you have sinned. In that case, your conscience is rightly saying you need to repent. So what should you do? Repent, right? 
You go to 1 John, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us, okay? Right? So you start there. If I've sinned, then I need to confess. But, and I think this is, if you guys are anything like me, we do that, and I think we still struggle with grief and spiritual depression. Like, we still feel guilty, right? We still have remorse, grief over what we've done. And I think this is helpful to think through there's a difference between feeling guilty and being guilty. Okay, right? Like, in Christ, if we are in him, we are not guilty. Okay? We are found in him. We have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. We have died with him. We have um, been justified by faith alone. We are in Christ. And you continue to go back to that and you preach that to yourself. I'd also say this. Don't place such a high premium on your feelings. Right? Um, I mean, there, yes, feelings are vital to important and cultivate. Okay? Your affections. Okay? Your, your feeler. Okay? But sometimes you and I are going to have weird feelings. <laughs> I'm a guy and I still have weird feelings, right? Like, that just happens. It's not just a guy-girl thing, right? We know girls have weird feelings sometimes, right? Guys do too, okay? And we don't understand sometimes why we're thinking these things, okay? Um, and so we need to remember that, that the most important thing, go back to your mind and your understanding. Like, like go back to this. You're, you're down and out. Do you believe and have faith in Christ? Yes. That's how you answer that question, and that's vital. Do you believe? Yes, I'm trusting in Christ. It's by faith. It's not always going to be experiential. You're not always going to feel great in the Christian life. You might still feel guilty, but you are not guilty if you are in Christ. This is really good from Lloyd-Jones again. What we have in the Bible is truth. It is not an emotional stimulus. It is not something primarily concerned to give us a joyful experience. It is primarily truth, and truth is addressed to the mind, the understanding, right? And it is as we apprehend and submit ourselves to the truth that the feelings follow, right? So we have to understand in order to cultivate the right feelings, the right affections. I must never, this is so good, I must never ask myself in the first instance, what do I feel about this? The first question is, do I believe it? So good. So good. It's not what do we feel, it's what do we think. Do we believe it? There's some other good quotes here. Do not spend too much time feeling your own pulse, taking your own spiritual temperature. Do not spend too much time analyzing your feelings. That is the high road to morbidity. Last one from Alan Chapel here. One of the lessons we all have to learn about living by faith is that there are times when we must sit loose to our emotions and hold fast to our convictions. There are times when we will have to ignore or refuse our feelings in order to hold fast to God and his truth. Let me just add, I'm out of time, I think. Yeah. Um, one more thing. I was struck by this this last week, and it's just one of those verses I'd read before, but I hadn't understood it in this way. In Acts 23.1, Paul is before um, a council of Jews, Pharisees. I think it's Pharisees and Sadducees. I can't remember which one. Um, but he's, he stands before them, and he starts with this. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. That hits a little differently when you think about who Paul was before he was converted. What was he doing? Persecuting Christians, like murdering them. Like we know of Stephen, we don't know about all the other ones, but we know that he was persecuting and murdering other ones. And he can say, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. I mean, that's an incredible testimony to Christianity, right? That no matter who you are, like you can be the most filthy, rank pagan in our eyes, 
and you can say after coming to Christ that I have a clean conscience. That's amazing, right? And so I think, you know, if you're still struggling with that, know that Christ has cleansed your conscience and he is cleansing it, right? Like it's kind of that, you know, the, the we think about um, salvation, sanctification, like the already and not yet. We are holy in Christ, but he's making us holy, right? It's the same thing. We have a clean conscience. We have a clear one. And also God is at work cleansing our conscience. And so we need to go back to um, holding fast to what we know to be true and not constantly going back to and dissecting our conscience and our feelings. Um, that's why that diagram hopefully helps. Um, this I thought was really good. I read this in a, in a book. Andy Nacelli has a book called Conscience. And the first couple chapters are really good. And he did this. You guys know the song Before the Throne of God Above? It says, when Satan tempts me to despair. He's like, just change Satan with conscience. When conscience tempts me to despair and tells me of the, of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. So it might be Satan condemning you or it could just be your conscience. And you still do the same thing. You still look to Christ, right? And so hopefully that's helpful. I wanted to get to Psalm 42, but that's fine. We'll look at it in two weeks. Um, and that'll be great. That, that's going to be real practical boots on the ground dealing with sin, guilt. What do we do? Okay. So the foundation has been laid. Do you guys have the foundation? It's a firm foundation. All right. So next week, member, members meeting at 9 a.m. in the commons. And then we'll be back here in two weeks. You are dismissed.